0: hello i'm becca the owner of meet cute romance bookshop and this is the meet cute book pod today we have our first podcast exclusive chat with Paige lavoy the author of the delightfully titled i'm in love with mothman We talk about her background as a romance reader and writer, including her start in webcomics and the fanfic she hid in a binder under the bed. Paige talks about her first book, which she indie published, and some of the warnings she got about starting out that way. She also compares her experience as an indie author with her experience at a small to mid-sized press. We try to define monster romance and dig into why it might be so popular right now. Then we do the same thing with retellings, which are also popping up all over. Paige talks about her writing process, including writing with a chronic illness, and the origin story of I'm in love with Mothman's beautiful cover. Finally, we talk about Paige's TikTok presence as a vintage influencer and as an author on BookTok. Before I transition to that interview through the magic of podcasting, I'll introduce Paige. Paige Lavoie is a Halloween-loving cinnamon roll who writes stories about misfits, monsters, and falling in love. Her affection for cozy autumn moments, charming protagonists, and all things cute and creepy reflects in the worlds she creates. When Paige isn't writing, she can be found hunting for treasures at the local antique mall and sipping oat milk lattes under a lacy parasol as she hides from the sun in her home state of Florida. Her latest book, I'm in Love with Mothman, is a cozy, autumnal, Beauty and the Beast-inspired romance about a burned-out influencer who logs off and buys a cabin in the woods only to discover, one stormy night, that Mothman has crashed on her roof. All right, without further ado, here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me for the Meet Cute Book Pod. I wanted to start by asking just a little bit about your history with genre romance. Like, what is your romance reading background? Have you been reading it for a long time? Did you come to it more recently? I think I've been reading romance, honestly, forever. Like, I mean, even starting out with children's little golden book, like Disney versions and stuff. I read the anything Beauty and the Beast, I think I read a million times over as a kid, just like I watched that movie again and again and again and again. But I always, since I was a kid, just have found stories a lot more interesting and compelling if there was some sort of romantic element. Do you remember reading any True genre romance, at what point you came to something that was like, did you ever read old school romance? Did you come to it more recently through social media romance? By old school romance, do you mean like the more like historical, like things that you would find at your grandmother's bookshelf sort of things? Yeah. No, I read so many of those at like a very, very early age. I remember my grandma would pass them to my mom and then my twin sister and I would read these very um it'd be interesting to read them as an adult because I remember them through my child eyes being just like very explicit um it just was such an interesting experience because it's kind of like an unofficial book club because my grandma would read it and she'd be like oh this is a good one and then pass it to my mom and then we would end up with it and I really kind of have to credit my mom for letting us read whatever like she was she was there if we had questions and stuff but She did not really care what we were checking out from the library. We read a lot of books that were probably beyond what you would expect a 12-year-old to be reading. I'm fascinated by what writers read when they were very young and what their introduction to genre romances and sort of the formative narratives that they associate with the genre, because I think... Um, the genre's changed a lot over time, but it pulls stuff or, you know, speaks to and against the way that it used to be. And I do think that's really interesting to think about. I agree with that. I think in the age that I was first introduced to like a classic romance novel, the only sort of hero you ever saw was the very like sort of dominant alpha male with not a lot of softness, like not even in private and I was horribly frustrated with that as a young adult reading these books, because even in like an intimate moment between these two characters, I don't really recall those romantic leads putting their guard down and and being vulnerable and soft and like showing their feelings a ton. It was just like, oh, he's gruff and he said this mean thing, but I know what he really means. And it, it I had a lot of issues also. I read um I I watched rather my fair lady a ton growing up. And it was that same sort of archetype as Henry Higgins, who she was just like, mean, mean, mean. And you're supposed to be rooting for this guy? Like, no, thank you. I so that was a big gripe I had with my first introduction to these romance novels, but I still came back to them. I would still like grab them off my grandma's bookshelf and want to read the next one and be curious about it. So I think even if you don't totally vibe with a story, there's still something really compelling about two people falling in love. See, I think that's really interesting. I have obviously read I'm in love with Mothman and you have written a hero that is really a caretaker and has a lot of vulnerability. And so I think you have almost found a narrative you've liked with the thing you don't like about it. And you were like, I'm going to fix it. I did really, I wanted their relationship to be sweet. And I really also wanted their relationship to be equal. Um, You mentioned that he's written like a caretaker. And I think Heather also has that quality where they both really just want to care for each other. She's like, I'm going to make this giant moth creature some soup. And he really reciprocates. He's a cutie. So we've talked a little bit about your sort of intro to genre romance as a reader, but what is your background as a writer? Mothman is your second book, your mm-hmm. first was indie published and you also used to write I think and draw a webcomic? I did. I that was my my kind of start into storytelling was webcomics. And so I did that from the age of probably 14 when it was like Yahoo Geo Sites and you're making your own little website and putting it up on the internet and I would like pass my notebook around to like my friends and get feedback that way so even sharing before Where I had the website and stuff. But even then, I was interested in like making, like drawing all these characters and then making them fall in love with each other. So once I realized that I liked the writing part a lot more than the drawing part, I did NaNoWriMo. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was the first time I actually finished a novel for the first time. And it was very different than Mothman. Uh, The first book I wrote was called Confidence, The Diary of an Invisible Girl. And it is like a love letter to my nerdy teenage self. And it was a very sweet story of its time. I have actually since taken it off of my website. And that was for a couple of reasons. It was my first time self-publishing a novel. And it's not just that there's some typos that slip through the cracks because like I'm a human and I did hire an editor, but she's also a human. But also just like a lot of outdated references. There are Harry Potter references in it. And I don't, I don't really want that anymore. I mean, beyond the Harry Potter references, I just, I feel like it it could be re-edited and maybe I will eventually, but it's probably the least in line. With the sort of stuff I, the sort of stories I, I, I want to tell now. That's something that's so interesting about self-publishing and the indie world, I think, which is that, you know, if that had been TradPub, yeah. that's in the world. There's really nothing you can do about it. And I think because I had the opportunity to say, hey, I think if I want this to exist still and do like a second print, if you will, I'd like to re-edit it. It was cool that I had the power to say, let me take this down and see how I feel about it in a year. Have you ever been a fanfic writer? A lot of yeah. a lot of authors come to writing that way. I'm curious. Absolutely. Um, I was a self, self-insert fanfic writer. I would write fanfiction and I wouldn't post it online because I was too scared to put it on the internet, but I would put it in notebooks and then hide it under my bed. I did have one that I was very serious about. And I think if I were to have put one online, it would have been my long-running uh, Legolas self-insert. Uh, where I put it in a binder. I decorated the binder. I had an Elvish dictionary. Um, I printed it out. So it was like, uh, it was yeah, me trying to self-publish at like 15 being like, look what I made. That's amazing though. I mean, all people interested in men of a certain age, I think had like a, a Legolas moment, at least. That's a classic. All right. So Mothman is a monster romance, which is a subgenre of romance that is really trending right now in a way that I think is really interesting. And I'm sort of trying to wrap my head around it. And I am curious about your insight as a as an author in the subgenre. But before we get into it, I want to try to define our terms. Okay. So what do you think makes something a monster romance? Like what is a monster? Because romance has gone through vampire and werewolf phases vampires are definitely back again Mm -hmm. Um, thank goodness but I wonder like is a vampire a monster is that its own category what are we talking about I think it really depends on who you ask like I think that if you say monster romance you're not going to automatically think vampire or I mean you might not even think werewolf at first because a lot of people would say werewolf romance but do they both fit in the category I think technically yes I think maybe werewolf more so because you're getting uh, some features that aren't distinctly human. I've also seen people say alien romance counts in the monster romance category, which I didn't realize. I thought that that was in alien romance and those were two different things. I think that right now, if you're saying monster romance, you're you're typically thinking someone who either shapeshifts or doesn't, but they have a form with um fur or feathers or scales or um, big bug eyes like Mothman when he's in his monster form. He also has a beak, which is kind of hot, depending on who you ask. If they look a little bit like you would, uh, if you saw them in the woods, you would be a little bit scared. That's probably a monster romance character. Okay. Interesting. So maybe it's more about not whether a character is literally like a non-human monster, but more of the the fear factor or the like weird factor of it. The fear factor or the weird factor is a great way to sum that up. <laughs> they either have to be terrifying or kind of spooky looking. All right. Well, now that we've clearly defined our turn, <laughs> um, do you have any thoughts as to why monster romance is so popular right now? For me, I mean, the reason that I really got drawn to Mothman, I think monster romance had this boom in the, at at least somewhere mid pandemic where you, you started seeing more and more. I think it's always been there. I think we've always loved Beauty and the Beast retellings. I think that people have been craving something that is akin to a Hallmark romance, but for spooky people. That's certainly what I tried to write The big goal for me when I wrote this book was I want to write a hallmark movie for people who love Halloween. And this story isn't going to actually have Halloween in it, but it's going to have autumn vibes, a character that you would typically think of as brooding and mysterious and dark. And let's make it really cozy. Let's add a lot of sweet moments and let's take all those hallmark tropes and put a monster in the story. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the spookification of sort of popular culture, but like the spooky aesthetic has also yes. been very popular. And I think those things are probably not completely unrelated. I have been thinking about it in conjunction with the the real boom in indie publishing and romance and sort of the way that that I think allows a little bit, and I'm interested in talking to you more about this too, but a little bit more sort of freedom and creativity and ability to take chances because if something flops as an indie book, it's not going to sort of break, make or break a career. I think you're right where I think you can take those chances and also you can have such a fast timeline with it Um and that makes all the difference. Because instead of waiting um, for a year, I mean, honestly, two, like with how publishing deals can go, you're looking at a timeline that could be anywhere. I mean, depending on how fast people's pipeline is, some indie authors have a new book every two months, sometimes more than that. And that's wild to me. I'm still working on getting my production (laughs) a little tighter. But I think that that makes a huge difference. Because all of a sudden, you have this giant pool of books that you can... shop through, where a couple months ago, there were not as many titles as there are right now. And a few more months down the road, there are going to be even more. That's really true. Indie publishing feeds up the creation of a trend. And it really, it has the ability to be so flexible around what's popular in the moment. Monster romance was not really a thing except for sort of werewolves and vampires. And Mm -hmm. suddenly it really does feel like it's everywhere. And it is, I think it's because of the, the speed of indie publishing. I I know that when I self published, a lot of people said, like, oh, well, this is going to be a black mark on you if you ever decide to traditionally publish or get an agent, or you're going to have to have a pen name in the future and just consider all these things because people aren't going to take you seriously, which is terrible advice and pretty mean. But it, it was always coming from a very genuine and like, I'm trying to help you out and just so you're aware kind of place interesting. Were those yeah. people familiar with genre romance? Like it was specifically about romance publishing. Cause I think romance more than really any other genre has in the last few years really started to take indie publishing more seriously. You know, I think that this was, I've never been in the literary community, but I've been slightly adjacent to it. And I think that this was more that literary scene, uh, a different person. But, um, I remember going to my first Goodness, I can't remember the name of the convention, but it was very literary focused. And a couple people warned me of like, hey, people might not be nice to you and just hold your head high because you deserve to be here. And that's ridiculous. Um, but it does kind of make you want to like put your shoulders down and kind of hide your head a little bit and you have to push past that feeling. I'm in Love with Mothman is a little bit of a Beauty and the Beast retelling. And you also have a Hades Persephone retelling coming out. And something that is trendy in addition to monster romances right now is retellings, I think both in romance and just sort of in the broader literary world. And I wonder whether you have any thoughts about what it is that we love so much or what is so satisfying about a retelling and what made you want to write so many of them? I think that there is a familiarity that we're always going to be drawn to of just um, there's a comfort and hearing uh, new takes on the same sort of stories over and over. And I think it's even more exciting when you think you know how a story is going to go because you're so used to hearing it. And then something switches up in the pacing or a little details. I loved with um, writing Our Own Little Underworld, which is my Hades and Persephone one, doing little nods to it because it's loosely based, but it's a contemporary take. And so I had her drinking pomegranate tea and I have him uh, as the son of a funeral parlor director. And she's the daughter of a midwife because I really wanted to symbolize life and death in a new way. And I have him very like punk and she dresses very floral and soft and naturey. And it was really fun to think about all the themes and things that I could do with the story to have it translate into like a modern high school. It's it's a high school AU, just a little fanfic moment. So I think that as writers, it's very fun to Pick a retelling and pepper in all of these little moments that you hope the readers pick up on. but even if they don't, they still really add to the story. I think sex scenes are some of the most interesting things to think through in romance because mm-hmm. it's where so much relationship happens, and it's also where so much really personal preference stuff is just like, I've read a lot of romances. And there are just words that I am like,. Ugh. You know, that one's like, mm, that's not for me. But obviously the author thought that was fine and probably thousands of people read it and were like, no notes, loved it. Mm-hmm. I started out writing YA. So Mothman for me was a very different experience. It was my first time writing uh, sex scenes ever. And so that was a very interesting experience as a writer to figure out what I liked writing, what I didn't, I had to sit and... <laughs> really analyze as I was reading through adult romances what I thought was um compelling. So and what I what kind of icked me out. And that's just it's such personal taste. But yeah, I, I'm really more for the feelings first and choreography second. And uh, it ended up being a lot of fun. I also loved dating Sims for that. I love the um the arcana is one that I thought was great. And then there was another one that was kind of, I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically looks like Tinder and you go on like dates and there's a chat room. And I paid a lot of attention to the dialogue in those games and what kind of got my heart racing what made me swoon a little bit because it's just it's such short form that um, they really need to make the most of very few words to get on that screen for a dating sim and so it was a very cool exercise in paying attention to pacing too and how little can you get away with and still get that that sensual reaction from the reader the consumer I have had no experience with those but that does sound like a really interesting way to approach it or think about it. Speaking of writing, what is your writing process like? Well, I would love to have a little more of a routine or some sort of process. Um, Right now I am a new mom. So my writing routine currently is either waiting until after bedtime and getting in a couple hours or writing during nap time. And that's a, that's a toss up. You're either writing for a half hour, maybe you're writing for an hour, but you're just kind of getting those little moments in. So yeah, I think, I think also forever I've had to be a little bit flexible because sometimes my body does not want to sit at a desk. I love writing on my laptop and being able to recline on the couch. Or I, um, also write from the bathtub all the time. I'll open up Google docs and, have like an Epsom soft bath. And I did that a lot while I was drafting a book that is just currently sitting shelved that I'm hoping to have an announcement about in the next couple of months. Um, it's a space romance. And yeah, we'll talk about it later, but it's very cute. we will talk offline. But yeah, I, I will have sometimes be all set up for writing, super excited, and then I'll have a chronic illness flare up and my body will just hurt. And for that book in particular, I would say hours of that were written just in my bathtub with a really bad headache, but I'm, I'm pushing through anyway. And spell checking it was not fun because the amount of it w- where it was text to speech and I just was like sitting with the lights off. <laughs> you do what you have to. And it ended up being a really fun draft. And it's nice to have those sorts of routines you can uh, lean back on when you're not having a very good health day. So a lot of flexibility. Seems at, a lot of flexibility <laughs> I, I'm working on trying to become a morning person but it, it my morning already starts at six in the morning so to do the whole hour before the day starts I'd have to be waking up at 5 a.m and that's a lot for me that's a time I choose not to acknowledge but I understand that there are people who will that's still do nighttime. voluntarily at 5 a.m. yeah and I used to be the sort of writer who would um stay up all night for like two nights in a row and I would get like 40K done. I did a lot of Mothman that way. <sighs> Not anymore. That that affects your whole next day. And then you end up like, I would end up with a really bad flare up, but I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll sleep the whole day. I can't, I can't do that anymore. So just being kind to my body and myself and working in all those little moments to get writing done. And when you are starting a new project, are you... A person who outlines a lot? Do you like to write through it? Do you do a different thing? Uh, My new sort of process for the last couple of books that I've um, written the rough drafts of has been writing my pitch. So a lot of times when I have a new book idea, I'll basically come up with the back cover blurb first. And uh, for the Mothman book, that came in the form of three tweets that I tweeted out just randomly of like, physically I'm here, emotionally I'm in, a desolate cabin in West Virginia, nursing a wounded mothman back to health. And that's how the book idea started. And um, yeah, but typically, it's not a tweet. Typically, it's a back cover blurb. So basically, my quick pitch for the book, and then I info dump any ideas I have in one document. And then that kind of turns into me writing little pieces of dialogue, scene ideas, and then I'll start trying to actually write the book. So I have one big garbage draft, and then that usually turns into something a little more organized. You have a lot of things in various stages of process, it sounds like, but I wonder whether, is there something that you would love to write that you're still, for any reason, afraid to attempt? Mm, That is a very good question. Uh, The space book I mentioned earlier is something that once I kind of started dipping my foot into the paranormal romance world, I wasn't sure if there was space for anymore. But it's it's another YA romance, but there's nothing paranormal about it. They're racing from different planets on a fun scavenger hunt road trip through the stars, and it's very teen rom-com but in outer space. And I went, where does this fit in with branding and reader expectations and all that sort of thing and am I allowed to write this still? Do I need to do it over a pen name? And so I had some um really good conversations with a publisher and maybe that does still fit in with who I am and what I write and we'll see. I think the stories that I want to tell are typically something with a lot of heart, something that feels cozy and uh, elements of found family are always going to be there. There's going to be some vague vintage aesthetic and uh, there are going to be stories about love and friendship. And that is something that this book has in common with all of the other ones. So it's interesting when you're trying to write across genres and you're trying to give yourself permission to do that. I feel like when I am a cute little grandma would love to write those like adorable grandma doing cozy mysteries books, because I read a couple and they're fun. We've talked a little bit about indie publishing versus smaller medium press publishing um, and sort of other forms of traditional publishing. And so your first book was indie, Mothman was published with Four Horsemen. How has that experience been for you? What were the, the pros, the cons? What would you like to do moving forward? honestly, after going through the process of self-publishing with my first book, it was great because my husband and I were like a super fun team with it. And he did a lot of the design, all of the design. He did all of the design. I did a couple of mock-ups, but he made it look pretty because he's the one with the graphic design background. And he formatted it and did a wonderful job, but I don't know how to do any of that stuff. And he has a job now that has so much more responsibility and we're also new parents. So there's no way there's, no way we were going to add that workload. And I've also discovered in that time that I really love collaborating and working with teams. So I knew that I wanted to start querying and explore doing small presses or working um, with a big publisher. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted, but for Mothman in particular, I knew I wanted the fast timeline. And that was something that was really appealing to me with Four Horsemen because their timelines are very fast. Think it was, oh, I I can't remember when I signed the contract, but it was out within that year. And that was very exciting and also timely, which I really wanted. I thought about how do I want to query this? And if I were to self-publish again, this would be the book because I kind of just want it to be out now while Monster Romance is having this, this moment. And I wasn't really even all, you know, I didn't even really realize Monster Romance was having such a moment. I knew Mothman was having a moment. That was a big plus for me, finding out that it would be out within that year. Because who who does that? Amazing. I also knew that I, I wanted some creative control in the cover. And that was a part of the contract that you got some say. They still had final say, but you had a little bit of creative input. And so I loved working with them. It's been really great. This is the my first book that's been out with a small press. And so I have two books, the Hades and Persephone one that will be coming out in June uh, with another small press, and then A Girl Called Monster, which is my Frankenstein retelling, and that will be out sometime in the distant future with a different small press. And I think there have been some pros and cons, but all in all, it's really nice that you get, generally speaking, uh, a decent amount of individualized attention. Communication can be a little bit slow once in a while, depending on the publisher, how big their team is, and um, what they have going on. So I'm working with one publisher and it's literally her a couple of positions that she hires out for and that's it. I haven't worked with a big press before, so I don't really know what the difference is, but I can say from coming from self-publishing to working with indie publishers, it's really nice to just have people on your team and uh, people to lean on. Yeah, it does sound like it takes some of the the really heavy back-end lifting of indie publishing off right. your shoulders. I'm really fascinated by the business end of indie publishing. It's so much work, and I feel like people, A, maybe don't realize it on, when they're going in. But also, I think the authors who are really good at it are not getting enough credit for how good they are at oh my gosh, being yeah. business people and marketers and their own actual publishers. How are these authors so talented where they're formatting, they're doing their cover design. And this stuff is, is it, it, it's a whole business. It's it's literally running a company. And a lot of times they're doing that on top of a full-time job. And I think it's incredible and, and, it, and it's nice to be working with publishers and have that load taken, taken off my shoulders. Cause that would have been so much learning so much designing, so many mistakes too, because or or a lot of hiring out and a lot of just upfront cost of um finding illustrators and formatters and people who I could really trust with this book that I love. I do want to talk about the cover of Mothman, which is so beautiful. What is the backstory of that? How did that cover come to be? Well, I looked at a lot of vintage, um, honestly, gothic romances on Pinterest, where I pinned a ton of those book covers that you think of that were done probably in the 60s or 70s, where it's a woman with a spooky house in the background and maybe she's holding a candle and she's looking back kind of scared and maybe there's a monster in the background or maybe it's just something ominous. Um, And I really wanted to do something that hinted at that um, because I feel like that has such monster romance energy. So I'm like, okay, how can we modernize this? Did you find your own cover artist or was that through your publisher? It was a combination. So before I even signed a book contract, I really fell in love with an artist, uh, Laya Draws on Instagram, and her work is very fun. It's very modern too, like um, that sort of cartoony style that you're used to seeing on romance novels nowadays. And there were a couple artists that I was looking at and I kept coming back to her work and she opened commissions and I went, okay, this is my chance so, I drew a very, very rough sketch. And mind you, I used to do web comics, so I should have done a better job than this. But I did this drawing of a very rough mock up of Heather with her phone, and it was supposed to be glowing up at her and looking back, and there's a hulking shadow of Mothman. And I wasn't sure how we were going to use this or if it would get used at all by the publisher because it feels very bold to say hey, thank you for publishing my book. I have this random art. Could you maybe incorporate it into the cover? But luckily I showed them and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. You have the rights to this. Yeah, I do. Cause I just went ahead and I'm like, can I buy commercial rights? And we did a whole thing. Cause I knew even if it wouldn't get used for the cover art, I would figure out some way to use it. And I think it turned out really well where she really captured that sort of gothic romance essence I wanted where instead of Heather holding like a candle and looking off, she's got the light of her cell phone. She really brought my my sweet little influencer to life and I'm so happy. I love a good sort of referential cover premise. So it really hit my cover sweet spot. So the main character of I'm in Love with Mothman is a burned out influencer who is also the child of an influencer, which just gave me like a mild panic attack about how old I am now, because the fact that a 22-year-old could have a parent who was an influencer feels temporally impossible, but is in fact real. Um, I'm really curious, you are pretty big on TikTok. You have over 30,000 followers and you talk about your writing and you also have sort of a, a thing where you share your love of vintage clothes. And I'm curious about your entry into TikTok? Was it as an author? Or was it as a vintage influencer? And then how has your experience been as part of BookTok? That is a great question. So starting off with my entry to TikTok, it was a silly vintage video that I posted. I was wearing a vintage outfit and I had to go to Petco. It wasn't even like a trending audio or anything. It was all just kind of like whatever audio it picked for me. And it's like, why are you so dressed up? And I'm walking in and picking up dog food and walking out just in like a very fancy dress and hat with like full face of makeup. And it's like, oh, for life or something. Like I, I, it was just like a silly little video and it really blew up. I think I got 15,000 followers in a day and it kind of kept growing. It was one of those things where like, I was messaging my friends, like what's happening. Like we don't know. And we were going back and forth. So like a bulk of people that were following me came from just that first video, um, which is honestly really cool. Like I feel like it gave me a pretty good head start on building an audience on there. And then I kept making vintage videos and they honestly performed way better than any book videos that I made. Like Even starting to share about the Mothman book, like I'm like, oh, I'm writing this and maybe like 20 people would see it. And it was very um, discouraging. I felt very much like put in a box, like, okay, well, if I'm going to make TikToks, it's going to have to be only vintage stuff and nobody really wants to see anything else. And then those videos stopped performing and I realized that TikTok doesn't care (laughs) and it's just such a hit or miss game. And the more you care about the performance of a video, just kind of the more you get in this loop of really tying your mood, your self-worth to a, a very arbitrary thing, uh, where it could be a very quality video, but maybe the algorithm just doesn't pick up on that, or not enough people like it within the first minute of it being online. And so other people don't get exposed to it. Or maybe it picks up again in a month when those keywords are trending. Like it's such a funny thing. And so my intro to TikTok was as, as a vintage influencer, as you said. And and it was interesting. I I met a lot of different people in the vintage community. There were like a lot of fun group chats and uh, a lot of people kind of rising at the same time. And I noticed a lot of people getting traction and kind of me staying in this place, which was an odd thing. And Honestly, I feel like, yeah, TikTok is funny, but also I wasn't posting about what I was the most passionate about. I love vintage clothes, but as soon as I let myself start to experiment and uh, get more into the book talk community, I started to have a lot more fun and there was way more freedom. And now I'll post a video and maybe it does okay And maybe the next one does better, but I'm not putting so much pressure on myself anymore. I'm not spending an hour working on like a transition outfit of the day thing. And that feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds healthy. Yeah, it really, I think also TikTok was so new at that point. And so we were all kind of figuring it out at the same time. And uh, it's interesting to get so much, um, for lack of a better word, attention very quickly. And that I think kind of, in a very small sense, might have leaned into some of the inspiration for Heather, just how much pressure there is to be online and have content that's performing well. Gosh, I mean, I think we all feel that in the book talk world as authors trying to make TikToks that hopefully readers will see and you really can get stressed out about it. I also like just talking about um, the influences of social media on my main character, Heather. I thought about a lot of the um, more original influencers too. Like, I don't know if you remember Michelle Fawn. Uh, she was an a, like one of the first beauty influencers on YouTube. And one day she just disappeared. And she made a video, I think maybe a year or two, maybe more than that later about how horribly burnt out she became and that she just rose to fame so quickly and didn't know how... Like just didn't know what she really wanted, didn't know what she was doing just to make other people happy and brands happy and went on like a big sabbatical to find herself again. And there's just a lot of pressure to be online and especially to be uh, someone who's in their mid-20s like Heather is. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be the child of a mommy blogger too and have your whole life out there. Whenever I was starting to write, it was that rise of cottagecore and also a lot of people who were the children of mommy bloggers coming out and talking about how awful it was and how they never felt like they had privacy. And so I just thought that was all very fascinating to kind of throw together. There was another beauty influencer who had something going on. I don't know, but my keywords prompted me to search for her. So I was like, okay, let's see what's going on here. And there were so many videos of her just being filmed out in public, like so-and-so, I can't remember her name, in real life. And it reminded me a lot of Heather because that's something she dealt with of, of, oh, there were all these unflattering, candid pictures of me, like buying toilet paper at Walmart or whatever else. And it really happens. Have you received any feedback as you've been querying or speaking with publishers about whether it's sort of a a plus for them that you have a TikTok following? I haven't. I I didn't really realize you were supposed to start to include that and that it was like such a plus. I'm not sure how much it matters to people. I'm sure it probably does, but I haven't actually asked that question. I've heard different things from different people about publishers trying to get their authors to be on TikTok. I mean, I think the way that music producers are trying to get their artists to be on TikTok, and to some extent, the things that go viral are rarely produced by the people whose work it is. It has, I think, more power than anyone expected. Oh, for sure. Yes, it definitely comes more about yeah. and, it And also it came at such an interesting time with the pandemic too, where I think, yeah. I don't think I would have put so much pressure on it if I hadn't been like at home. <laughs> yeah. I think it's something pretty much everyone is still trying to get their arms around in terms mm-hmm. of how to make it work for them. What are the main issues with it? Because it's for sure doing a lot for discoverability for people. I feel like I got really lucky because I think three of the Mothman related videos went not heavily viral, but viral enough where um, I think they it gave me a bit of a pre-order boost um, and was helpful. Um, I have one that went semi. It, it performed pretty okay for a book signing I have coming up. And there's this little part of me that's like, should I order more stickers? How many people are going to show up? TikTok is it holds a lot of sway on just the amount of people who are going to click the links in your bio and discover either an event or a book or a recipe. Who knows? It doesn't need to be the conversion. It doesn't need to be that huge because the numbers yeah. are so big in a way that I think is really interesting. Like we have had a couple of TikToks go viral and we get people coming in all the time that are like, Oh, I found you on TikTok. But all the time to me is like one person a day. That feels yeah. constant. And that's seven people a week. And so it's like not actually, it's not like every person on TikTok came to the bookstore, but it's enough. Before we wrap up, do you have a book that you've read recently that you've loved, that you want to share, that you just want to shout about? I actually just finished uh, The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston, which I'm sure everyone has heard of because it's fantastic and it's a bestseller. And congratulations, Ashley. It's amazing. Wow. What a swoony romance. What a, what a, Ben is so dashing. Florence is so relatable. It's, it's just such a lovely book. And spooky. It has a spooky aesthetic. Oh, that's a question. Do you think a ghost belongs in monster romance? I think if the ghost were haunt, hauntier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? I agree. Because I don't. So more I think- like a, an unknown haunting ghost, as opposed to like a a person you know. Ghost. Mm-hmm. A poltergeist romance. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. A huge thank you to Paige for joining me to talk monster romance and small press publishing. If this conversation has made you want to pick up her book, I'm In Love With Mothman, you can do that right on our website, meetcutebookshop.com. Paige has even sent some signed book plates and stickers our way as a gift to readers. And that is all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California. And I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing.